0: Uh, Dear God, we need your help, and we ask for your help during this series on the family. Help us listen to your word and your whispers about how to do family better. Help us bring open hearts and attentive minds to the task. Help us intentionally invest in whatever family, Father, you've given us. And as we face the reality that families come in many different forms, help us understand deeply that you, God, are for us and not against us you love us just where we are And want the very best for us and our families help us get the truth and feel your love right where we are Help those of us who are single Listen for ways. We can more fully serve the families in which we are apart for those who are widowed father help us find ways to invest in our families even when separated by many miles For those of us living in families affected by a first or second or a third divorce, help us sense your presence and your help. For those of us in the midst of the hard daily work of raising kids, help us find hope and perseverance and some tools to do the job better. And for those of us doing this raising of kids as single parents, please bring an extra measure of energy and love. Father, some of us today find ourselves in very tough family places. For those struggling with what feels like hard or hopeless marriages, please bring encouragement. For those wanting to be married, who find themselves still alone, we ask for your grace and your leading. For those whose families seem broken and completely beyond hope, we ask for your wisdom and your power to change those families. For those struggling to have children, We ask that you would work and help them wait with patience and hope while striving for the best family they can be. Father, forgive us when we've messed up in our families. We've all messed up. Forgive us for when we've chosen selfishness or laziness instead of serving and sacrifice. Forgive us for the times we've put ourselves and our needs ahead of others. Forgive us when we've fallen short of your ideal Ways to live in the family. Father, we believe that you care deeply for us and our families. Please speak to our hearts and our minds in these minutes. Help us listen for your voice. Help our children and our grandchildren hear your principles of family and carry these principles into their future families. Help us take one step this week to be a better family member. We need your help. In Jesus' name, amen. I am uh, I am really excited about this uh, month of January. I believe in family. I believe God designed the family. And uh, this is week one. The goal of the series, we have a slide on this, helping families. In fact, it was so much a part of this uh, intro video. I, this is the first time I had seen the video. And our goals were so much embedded in that. Helping families take intentional steps to make their families more God-centered, more fun, more peace-filled, and more connected. Who doesn't want those things in their family? Who doesn't want those? And so uh, we're excited about that. The key verse for the whole month, for the whole family series, is Ephesians 5.15. Take a look at the verse. Be very careful, then, how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. The reality at Orchard is that families come in all kinds of forms these days. Um, blended families, single-parent families, widows, never-married single people, uh, college students, divorced families, and families with both parents. And we're committed, we believe God's committed, to encouraging every form of family that we have here. So some of you might sit in the seats and go, Oh, bummer, a month on family. Well, I don't live with my family anymore. It's okay. My family's like many, many miles away. It's okay. Um, I'm pretty much done raising my family. It's okay, because we all have family to invest in. Now, I want to begin, though, talking about this. There's a tension. Whenever we bring family up in a meeting or a subgroup of any kind, there's this tension. Someone, uh, for instance, uh, said, well, you ought to name this series Biblical Families. Just name it Biblical Families, so that we could all be like the families in the Bible. And the more I thought about that, I thought that's the last thing we would want. There are almost no good families in the Bible. Um, Think about it. Think about it. Adam and Eve were put in a perfect environment with no emotional baggage from their past, right? They had no bad habits to overcome. They had no in-laws to deal with. And they failed miserably. When Eve a- handed Adam a fruit, he chose to uh, put his wife ahead of his following and obedience of God. Their first two children committed the first homicide on the planet. You don't want a family like that. And then I, I was listening the other day, someone was teaching about Joseph. You know, you don't want a family like Joseph had. His brothers uh sold him into slavery and then lied to his dad and had to face it years later. King David, you know, takes Bathsheba and then has her husband killed. You don't want a family like that. Even Jesus' family. Think about this. Two parents take their child to Jerusalem. They've got one kid to watch. They take him on the trip, and they lose him for three days. What kind of parenting is that? Right? You with me on that? I mean, we don't want to be biblical families. So there's this huge tension right away when we talk about families. Uh, and um, the, uh, the tension is, um, uh, there aren't great families in the Bible, but there are a lot of ideals in the Bible. And this key verse I just told you about comes from Ephesians chapter 5. I want to show you on the screen simply uh, the um, some ideals for the family from simply Ephesians 5 and 6. Uh, be careful then how you live. That's in the key verse. So as you're living in family, you need to be thoughtful and careful. The second one, not uh, not as the unwise, but wise. So one of the ideals is, hey, be wise in the family. That right there could take months to uh, preach on and teach on. Make the most of every opportunity. I mean, I just came out of a Christmas celebration, and, uh, for, you know, a couple of weeks long we all celebrate, right? And I was thinking, let's make the most of every opportunity in family. Everyone submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Everyone put each other first in line. You know, I'm going to use my assets for your best. I'm going to use my energy for your best. That's what it means to submit to others. Put myself farther back in line than I put you. Then it says, wives, go ahead. You do that. Submit to your husband. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Children, obey your parents. We all like that one, right? Um, Everyone, honor your father and your mother. And fathers, do not exasperate your children. So these are simply some ideals, just from two chapters of the Bible, of how we ought to do family. The ideal is a beautiful thing. Now, when these were modeled by Jesus and written in the Bible, they were out-of-the-box revolutionary ideas. Now hear this. When we hear these, we think, well, that's something grandpa and grandma would have believed in. But when Jesus modeled them, and when the Bible wrote them, they were like um, out of the box, crazy and new. Now follow me on this. They were written to a Jewish and a Greek culture where women and children had little or no value, more like cattle. Women and children were seen as property. In many cases, they were disposable. A man could simply get a divorce by saying, I'd like a divorce. It's done. A woman wants a divorce, too bad, too sad. Um, no, her husband bought her from her father with a dowry and she was property as long as he wanted her. And there would be no divorce no matter how badly she was treated, period, end of the matter. And children in this culture were disposable property of their father's. And if he didn't want a girl, he might just abandon that girl by the roadside and let her die. Uh, In John Ortberg's book, he said, At this time, there were 400,000 less females than males. And the reason is because they were just left because females weren't of much value. Then Jesus comes. And remember the time in the Bible where the disciples are trying to send the kids away? And Jesus says, No, let the kids come to me. And I can picture him, he actually has him on his lap, he's rubbing his head, he's like hitting him in the arm, and the disciples are being pushed back, and the kids are up front huddling with Jesus. And then Jesus looks at the kids and he makes this statement, unless you change and become like a little child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And whoever humbles himself like these kids is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus was communicating in that moment, a huge value on how valuable kids are. And it was anti-cultural. So these principles, this ideal, is revolutionary new in Jesus' day. And, and Christian church has hold, held on to it and actually changed the course of the world as we continue to value children. And then how about women? In the ministry of Jesus, women were given key roles, unheard of. They were his friends. He valued them and talked with them and he even taught them. And this was unheard of. He saw them as spiritual sisters, a valued part of his family. This was a whole new thing. Women had value as people, as co-laborers, co-learners, unheard of. So there's like, as we think about this model of how we're to live in family, for us it's like old and traditional. For the first church, it was like radical. You mean we're going to submit to each other? You mean I'm going to put my wife ahead of me in line? You mean I'm going to care about her and her future? This was radical. Now, here's the problem. Here's where we're still getting to the tension. The tension is I have my reality and I have this ideal and they're way apart. Right? I mean, just Friday night, Friday night. Just I don't even have to look back two days. Friday night, I'm running at George With Park. And uh, it's beautiful out there, by the way, these times. I run across the frozen lake. It is, it's beautiful. And um, then I get in my car and turn on the heater and I'm journaling. And one of the things I journal that night is I want to make this a really nice night for Lynn and I. I want to serve her tonight. Because after all, I'm teaching on Sunday about serving your wife. So I want to go and serve her tonight, right? So I've got some kind of a good story. And so uh, all this mixed motivations, I'll be honest. So I get home. I'm eating a bite of supper. And Lynn says, Dave, could you help me with the computer? And so I get up from, and I go over, and I'm trying to help her with something on computer with Facebook. And I actually don't know how to do it. And I get more and more frustrated. And all of a sudden, I say, Lynn! Do it yourself. Figure it out. And I go back to the supper table by myself. It's like I hear this whisper. Dave, you are a hypocrite. You're going to stand up in front of church on Sunday and give the ideal, and you're a hypocrite. And it's true. We all are. All of our teachers are. We can't live the ideal. We can't. And so what we do is we have this reality And that's where the tension comes in. That's the tension. The tension is between our current reality and the ideal. Now, how do we deal with the tension? You know, we have people sitting in the seats who filed for a divorce this week. And they're going to come to Orchard and they're going to sit here today and they're going to hear us teach the ideal. And how do they deal with it? We have people who've had a loss in their family and they're really hurting. And they hear this ideal and how do they deal with their current reality? Um, we have people who would say, um, I never thought or planned on divorce, but now the pain is so hard and the marriage isn't working and it's out of my control. Or my kid is totally messed up right now. What do I do with a series like this? And so here's what we do as a culture. What we do as a culture today is we normalize the reality. What we do is we say, well, nobody gets along. Nobody, like, really has that kind of ideal family. So let's just not feel bad. Let's just normalize reality. So it's okay that I have a brother I don't talk to. So it's okay that um, uh, my kids didn't want to come home for Christmas. That's just the way family is. It's okay that we never eat together. Because families today are too busy to do those kinds of things. We normalize reality. And that's the opposite of what Jesus did. You know what Jesus did? He took the ideal and he lifted it even higher. Remember when he said to people, he said, you've heard it said you should not commit adultery. Men should not sleep with other men's wives. What did he do? He took that ideal and he raised it higher. He said, I say to you, it's not only that you can't sleep with another man's wife. I say if you even think about it in your mind, you're lusting. And you've committed adultery. He took the ideal and he raised it higher. But you know why he could do it? And you know why so many people were attracted to him? Because he raised the ideal at the same time. He never condemned people in their current reality. He lifted up the ideal strongly and he loved people no matter what their current reality was. He loved them. He encouraged them. He instructed them. Never do we see Jesus condemning or beating up people for their current reality. Do you get this? This was the whole reason he died on the cross, right? So now there is no condemnation. The woman at the well. He's in a conversation with her. And what is she? What does he say? He says, you've had five husbands and the man you're living with right now is not even your husband. If you knew who I was, ask for some living water. No condemnation. Right? So we as the church, we as families, need to be able to lift up the ideal without any condemnation of current realities. And if we can do that, if we can do that, then we have a message for the world and a message for our own children and a message that we care about. So let's look at the ideal again. This uh, current reality, this uh, tension, in youth ministry, I used to teach it with a coin. I would say the ideal is heads, and the current reality is tails. And God calls us to live on the edge of the coin, which is hard. We have to live into the tension. I have to like be able to accept the ideal, while at the same time I realize I'm falling short. I have to be able to get up here and teach the ideal on Sunday, even though I messed it up on Friday night. And the way I can do that is get past the fact that I'm not going to condemn myself because Jesus taught because of the cross. Now there is no condemnation. Okay, so now we, uh, we're going to live out this idea, but here's the interesting thing. We're in all different stages of family. Right? We've got, uh, again, as I've said, each stage has its own joys and challenges. And I challenge you to reflect upon the stage you're in carefully and wisely, making the most of every... So think about the stage you're in. It's not the stage you were in 10 years ago. It's not the stage you might have been in 20 years ago. You're in a unique stage. You're in a unique stage with family. Um, And each stage that you're in has its own set of joys and challenges. Lynn and I, years back, decided, uh, we just decided that we were going to find joy in every stage. Well, can you do that? What if one stage went really bad? Can you really decide you're going to have joy? Well, actually, joy in the New Testament is a command. Be joyful always. It doesn't say circumstances will always go your way. It doesn't say you'll always be happy. But it does command us to choose joy every day. Be joyful always. So every stage I'm in, I need to be able to choose joy in that stage. And every stage I'm in has its own set of challenges. I remember young families. We have a lot of young families in the church. You know I love young families. You know that I think God works in young families. You know that I think raising kids is like a discipleship method God uses. I mean, you know all this. I I, I think moms say, I don't have time to study the Bible about patience because I have to change 10 diapers a day. Well, changing 10 diapers a day is discipleship. Um, You learn patience. You learn love. You learn to be a servant, Right? So um, uh, I remember when we were uh, we were raising four kids. Jer's two, Ben's one, and the twins are zero. Okay? And so I think I got those ages right. And so all four are in diapers. And like the twins, we have to force them to eat in the middle of the night every three hours. And there's this high s- I'm a teacher and a coach in those days. And there's this high school awards banquet at my high school, Edgewood Colesburg High School. I'm like a two or three year teacher. And uh, I come to the awards banquet and they hand out all those awards. And then there's an un unlisted um, last award. Two, stu- two seniors come up to the podium and say, we have a special last award this year. It's for Mr. Bartlett. Would you come up, Mr. Bartlett? And so they have me come up and they reach under the podium and they pull out a pillow. And they started to tell. Now, remember who's in the room, parents, school board members, my administrators, And they start to tell this story about how in the old days, high technology was a film strip with a tape player. Remember these? You have to be probably at least 50 to remember these. Um, You have this cassette tape and it's playing and every once in a while there's a beep and then the teacher turns the... Yeah, you know, the teacher turns the film strip. That was high technology. Um, Beep, I'm in the back, turn the film strip. Beep, I'm in the back, turn the film strip. Beep, film strip doesn't turn. Beep, doesn't change. Beep, doesn't change. The class looks around. I'm on the deal, sleeping. The bell rings, the class just leaves. So in front of all the school board and everyone, they simply give the pillow and say, Mr. Brother, the next time you sleep with your head on a projector, we wanted you to have a pillow. (laughs) Now, that's the challenges of young family, right? That's the challenges, you see these, they're almost like zombies uh, walking around trying to. But that's the challenge of that. I remember when we had four kids in college. It's a unique set of challenges. Um, our garage every summer became simply storage of old college furniture. I remember um, moving four kids in every fall, for at least a couple falls, into college dorms. You know, and they always got their rooms on the 8th or ninth or 10th floor. They never have elevators. And I remember building loft after loft, Right? Every stage has its joys and its challenges. Friday, uh, lunch, I took my mom, 81 years old, out with my dad, 85 years old. We went somewhere, and I don't know where. We ate lunch. Uh, and I listened to my mom talk about what it's like to be 81 and 85. They're in a different stage. But they're still in family. I keep cheering him on saying, what you do really is important to your grandkids. My dad still serves his church. My dad is like a janitor or construction guy at his church. And I say, dad, keep going. 85, you got 5, 10 good years left. You can do it. Um, because my grandkids, his grandkids and great-grandkids are watching. So every stage has its joys and challenges. So I want to talk to you about a couple of assignments uh, this month. Uh, the first assignment is this book. Uh, pick one up, take it home, read it. Like Ed said, I thought Ed did a great job of promoting it and um, write a mission statement. And we're going to give you a deadline because when we did this as a family task force, we realized that none of us, none of us even on the task force worked on it until the deadline was here. And so we decided we need a deadline. So the deadline is the last Sunday of this month because we're going to ask you not only to put your financial gifts in the offering, we're going to ask you to put a copy of your mission statement in the offering as an offering to God as, hey, we did this together. And I mean, it's hilarious. Uh, Malin and I truthfully wrote ours the night before the task force and I was leaving the house. And Lynn said, no, Dave, you have to stay. We have to do this right now, or we're going to go with a blank piece of paper tomorrow. And so here I am, the leader of the church. I needed the deadline, and I needed my wife to force me to do this. So I understand this is hard and out of the box, and you didn't come to church this morning to get another assignment, especially a writing assignment. Um, But I'm going to say do it now. The mission statements in here are very interesting. Uh, The shortest one is nine words. Nine words. And Ben Patterson and his family wrote it so they could pray it each night with their four kids. Uh, Ours has a lot more words than that. Uh, I just want you to pick one of these up. Ida Fry, 90 years old. We just celebrated her 90th birthday. Her family mission statement is in here. Claire Morris, uh, the daughter of, uh, the sister of uh, Taylor Morris, um, who is active in our church. Um, Claire is. She wrote hers. And so it's very, uh, uh, pick that up and do that. The second assignment I would give you is a simple question. It's the question I tried to ask Friday night, but I failed. And it comes from that. Everyone submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Not because you deserve it. I don't submit to my wife and put her first in line because she deserves it. I, had, I, I put her first in line out of reverence for Christ. Out of my loving Him. His love compels me. Okay. So uh, here's the question I would encourage you to ask this week. This is like the second assignment. Ask your family members, how can I, what can I do to help you? What can I do to help you? Do it after dinner this afternoon, guys. So you get up from dinner, wherever you're having dinner, and you say to your wife, What can I do to help you this afternoon? Or you say to your kids, What can I do to help you? Or kids! If you say it to your parents, they might faint. Um, you come out and you go, What can I do to help you, Dad? He won't know what to say. Now, I'm just going to encourage you, as a first assignment this month, Pick up this, this and start thinking about a family mission statement for whatever stage you're in. My parents, 81 and 85, they could easily write it. A widow who's hundreds of miles from her family can still write one. A college, One of them in here is a college student who writes one about his niece. And um, then ask the question, what can I do to help you? Want to pray? Dear God, One, one of the gifts you give us, which we're going to celebrate right now in communion, is Jesus and his death for our sin, shame, and brokenness. But Father, another gift you give us is family. Help us love you enough to invest real heavily in our family. Help us hear your whispers and your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.